Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. All right, guys, if you would, please open up your Bibles now to Matthew chapter 4. If you're a guest with us or if you don't have a Bible, we got Bibles in the back there for you. That's our gift to you. We want, we want to make sure that you have a Bible, got God's Word in your hand. And as you turn to Matthew chapter 4 today, um, well, let me, let me review. We, we celebrated Easter last Sunday. Resurrection Sunday, it was a great day. Uh, we celebrated the fact that Jesus Christ, he walked out of his own grave. Uh, and that's not just good news, my friend, that's the best news you will ever hear. Uh, we had great fellowship afterward. Thank you for everyone who, who served in that with the potluck. Um, it really was a blessing. And today we're back in Matthew's gospel, and we're studying the life of Jesus before the resurrection. And we're doing that verse by verse, and we teach in this way so that you can experience God day by day. So two Sundays ago, not this past Sunday, but two Sundays ago, uh, the Holy Spirit taught us the importance of Jesus' baptism. And as a quick review, we learned, number one, that Jesus, who had no sin, he got in line uh, with those who had no righteousness. Amazing. Number two, we learn that Jesus doesn't need saving because he's the Savior. Jesus offers forgiveness. He, he doesn't need forgiveness. And number three, we learn that Jesus' death becomes our death. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. And we discussed how Jesus' baptism was his formal commissioning in the ministry. Holy Spirit, God the Father, they ordained Jesus to, to really begin his ministry of redeeming our wretched souls. Now, you would think that after such a commissioning and uh, incredible ordination ceremony like that, that everybody would celebrate. Uh, remember? I mean, God the Father spoke from, from heaven, and he said, This is my beloved Son with, with whom I am well pleased. Everybody heard that. Uh, when ordained, most pastors, most priests, uh, ministers, they have some kind of celebration afterward, but not Jesus. Instead of celebrating, Jesus leaves the Jordan River and he begins to fast. So today's text really begins with one of the most monumental and mysterious spiritual battles of all time. And we're going to learn about this personal uh, it's a very personal confrontation between Jesus Christ, who is the Son of Man, he's the perfect human being, and Satan. So how does this confrontation, how does it impact you guys today? How does it impact me? Well, we've got a lot to learn from this conversation. There are so many key points in this text, you note takers are just going to be giddy. You're going to love it. Break out your highlighters. You're going to... 
You know, when I was preparing for this lesson, I, I planned on teaching verses 1 through 11, all three temptations today. But when I created my outline, I, I had so much material that I, I knew I needed to break it down. So I went from 11 verses to four. So I plan on preaching the temptation one today, temptation two next Sunday, and temptation three the following. Well, I still had so much material in those four verses. I, had to, I kept cutting, cutting back and forth, and, and I just realized, wow, I've got enough material for verse one today. And that's our focus. So today we're going to be, there's really, this is an introduction to temptation. Starting next week, we're going to look at temptation number one. So all that to say, God's word has a lot to tell us about temptation. Um, this message is so practical for us today. So if you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word, and let's dive in here. I'm actually going to start in verse 16, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, to bridge the context of, of, of what's going on here. So when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And then the tempter approached him and he said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written that man must not live on bread alone, but on every word. That comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus told him, It's also written, do not test the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said, I will give you all of these things if you're going to fall down and worship me. And Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil left him and the angels came and began to serve him. And this is the word of the Lord for us here at River Bible Church this morning. Thank you. Have a seat. Let's take a deeper look here at verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That word then there, that's a transition word. So as, as soon as Jesus' baptism was complete, he left the Jordan River and he started walking towards the desert. So there's an urgency here in verse 1, that the baptism of Jesus specifically and immediately transitions to his temptation. There's a compelling of the Holy Spirit here. The Holy Spirit leads Jesus to where he must go next. 
No time for celebration. Jesus is on mission, and time is short. Now, there is no coincidence that Jesus' temptation here immediately follows his baptism. We see this all throughout Scripture. No sooner had Israel been delivered from Egypt, here comes Pharaoh with his army trying to chase him down through the Red Sea. No sooner had Elijah called down fire from heaven, and he, he, he kills 450 false prophets, the Lord, excuse me, he asked the Lord to take his life. No sooner had the Apostle Paul received revelations from God, he was assaulted with many temptations. And no sooner had Jesus experienced the first, his first great testimony to his ministry, he now faces his first significant test of his ministry. So maybe you've had a, a similar experience right after conversion. Maybe you've had a similar experience right after some big spiritual event in your life. You know, you're, you're on this mountaintop experience, and then, bam, you're, you're tested and you're tempted like never before. Not a coincidence. Verse 1 continues, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Now, time out. Does that surprise you guys? That the Holy Spirit of Almighty God, not the devil, leads Jesus into temptation. Why would the Holy Spirit do that? Why would he be the initiator of Jesus' temptations? Over the, the past three chapters in Matthew's gospel, we learn that the Spirit was behind the virginal conception of Jesus. We also know that um, the Spirit empowered Jesus for ministry. So we get to this point, and we're like, wait a second, isn't that a tad disturbing? That the Holy Spirit is the one leading Jesus into the desert to be tested by the prince of darkness. Verse 1 continues, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. So let's talk about the importance of, of the wilderness and the desert here. Why the desert? In Matthew chapter 3, we discussed how Jesus must fulfill all righteousness. We talked about how Jesus is the, the new Adam, the second Adam. Jesus' life is vicarious, meaning that Jesus must accomplish what Adam and Israel failed to do. So this series of temptations that Jesus experienced, really it's a do-over for all of mankind. And if we go back to the creation story, we're going to remember that Satan met Adam and Eve in the, in the garden, the Garden of Eden. Eden was a paradise. God provided everything. Nothing could harm Adam and Eve either, nothing. Uh, well, that is until a talking snake shows up. Adam lost his battle with Satan. And here's the thing to consider with that. Adam lost this battle while he was living in a perfect environment. So Jesus, on the other hand, he meets Satan in the desert. It's the complete opposite, right? We, we, we all know about the desert. We live in the desert. We live in the Verde Valley. When you, when you guys go on a long hike, you bring water and you bring food. The deserts of Israel, hot and barren and desolate, and it's this particular area where Jesus is being tempted. It's known as the devastation. 
the devastation. I'm going to tell you all right now, if I'm driving down the highway and I see a sign that says, the devastation two miles, I'm turning around. I'm not going through the devastation. These, the, the desert, the Judean desert, it, it's got hills that are just piles of, of dust. I, imagine dust in your eyes, dust in your mouth, dust in your nose. The rocks, they are sharp and they are jagged. You fall, you're going to get hurt. Nowhere in Israel could Jesus have been more alone and more vulnerable. So notice the contrast here. Adam and Eve, they're in paradise. Everything is so lush, it is so full, it is so green, we can't even conceive of it today. We have no idea what the, what the earth looked like, the garden looked like specifically. Jesus, on the other hand, he's in the lifeless desert of Judah. Everything is dead and brown. Adam and Eve... They, they were physically content and, and satisfied. These guys, they weren't even hungry when they, when they took that piece of fruit. They were free to eat from hundreds of trees, except for one. Jesus didn't even have the one. He didn't even eat locusts and wild honey. And Jesus was hungry. He fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights. He was alone doing that. We've got Adam and Eve. They're at least together. They, they've got company. They've got support. Jesus is utterly alone. He is isolated. And regardless of how much Adam and Eve had going for them, they failed. They failed in their temptation. That brings us to key point number one for today. Spiritual and moral failure is not caused by circumstance, but by character. Spiritual and moral failure is not caused by circumstance. It's caused by our character. We're really good at, at playing the blame game. We live in a society that thrives by, by pointing fingers and, and not taking responsibility for our actions. But guys, we are responsible. We are morally accountable to Almighty God for how we live our lives. And Jesus shows what that looks like. So back to verse 1. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. So let's talk about temptation. In English, that word tempt, it means to tempt to do evil. But the Greek word for tempted in this verse is parosmos. Parosmos. And parosmos means to test or to prove. It means something different than the English version. Remember Abraham's test? Abraham was called to sacrifice his son, Isaac. That's, that's quite the test. Job also comes to mind. Job was tested repeatedly for his faith. And when we think of, of the outcome of these tests, we know that God used those things not to destroy, not to shame, and not to embarrass these men. He used those tests to build them up into the men that God created them to be. So key point number two. We, if we wrap our brains around key point number two today, it will change our life in the way that we look at our trials. All right? Parosmos. It is a neutral word that means it can be, it can be used as a testing for good or a temptation for evil. 
parosmos, neutral word that can be used as a testing for good or a temptation for evil. So from God's viewpoint, parosmos is always a test for good for his children. God never tempts anyone. The Apostle James writes this in in chapter 1, verse 13. He says, no one undergoing a trial should say that I'm being tempted, parosmos, by God, since God is not tempted, parosmos, by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt parosmos anyone. James uses that word parosmos three times in, in the form of a test to build us up, to build spiritual muscle. Now, from Satan's perspective, though, parosmos always is a temptation. Same word, but it's used for wickedness. Keep in mind, guys, Satan's a thief. And God's word gives us uh, uh, Satan's mission statement, right? John 10.10, a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So in other words, when you experience a spiritual battle, and it's raging around you as a test a trial, or a temptation, there are always two powers at work, God and Satan. And and here's how we should look at this. Even though we can't see it with our own two eyes, right? God provides an opportunity. A trial comes into our life. God provides an opportunity that's going to grow you up. He he wants to mature you into your faith, and he's offering you a test. But from Satan's standpoint... It's a temptation. Satan, the demonic, the world, your own sin nature wants to trap or to trick you into sin. Satan intends that your trial ends in evil. God intends it for good. And there can be no better example of this than with Joseph and his brothers in Genesis chapter 50. Joseph is is Jacob's favorite son, right? Joe's brothers... They know this, so they get jealous, and they nearly kill the guy, but they say, "Eh, let's not kill him. I got a better plan. Let's sell him as a slave, and then we're going to lie to our daddy about the whole thing. That's a great plan. He'll never find out about that. Joseph works himself from a slave to the vice president of Egypt. Decades later, his brothers come to Egypt asking for food, But because there's a famine, the brothers eventually find out who Joseph is, and they think Joe's going to kill him. And then he says this, Genesis 50, verse 19. He says, don't be afraid, guys. Am I in the place of God? I'm not, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. But you planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Wow. Dang. The survival. You know Joseph's story, right? I mean, decades worth of of trial after trial after trial. And he says in verse 20, this all happened. God's providence for the survival of many people. Unbelievable. So the issue with being tested or tempted is that you can't really see the difference until you experience the outcome. If I pass, then it's a test that proves that I'm growing up in my faith. If I fail, it's a temptation which I was enticed by my own wickedness 
and I chose to sin. James 1, 14, James says this. He says, each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. The devil made me do it. That's not in scripture. So if we go back to today's narrative, we've got the Holy Spirit leading Jesus into the desert. And this is a test designed to prove that Jesus truly is God's son. God the Father confirmed it audibly, right? I mean, how much more confirmation do we need for everybody to hear God the Father speaking? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. But now Jesus needed to prove why God the Father was well pleased with him. The test was that Jesus would remain obedient, regardless of his human needs, regardless of Jesus' human desires. But see, that's only the point of view from that's only God's point of view. From Satan's point of view, this whole thing is a temptation. Now, the thought of Jesus being tempted like we are, that should bring us great comfort. I mean, look at this, Hebrews 4:15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. No, 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 no. We've got one who has been tempted in every single way as we are, and yet he's without sin. Jesus is without sin. Not only was Jesus tempted in every single way, he was tempted to the absolute highest level of temptation. Let me show you this slide. Think of temptation levels on a scale of 1 to 10. 1, easy, we go up to 10, hardest. Before we knew the Lord, before we accepted the grace of Jesus as our Savior, when temptation came, we would cave in at like level 1 or 2. Why? Because as unbelievers, we love sin. But when we became believers, things changed, didn't they? Now when a, when a trial or a test or a temptation comes, we push back and we resist. At least we try. That was a great spot for an amen. <laughs> Y'all leaving me up here like I'm the only one sinning. Good night, Louise. No, man, we have the Holy Spirit of Almighty God dwelling inside us. Isn't that insane? It's insane. When the Holy Spirit says, uh-uh, don't do that, don't do that, what, what the Holy Spirit's saying is, don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. If you do that, Dustin, you're going to hurt yourself, and I love you too much for you to do that. So don't do it. You turn and you run. So the Christian life really is lived by learning from our failures from temptation. So we go from caving into temptation like at, at, at levels one and two on that scale. And we start caving in at temptations at level five and six and seven. And this takes years. This takes decades but when it comes to Jesus, Jesus never gave in to temptation. Not one time. As the Son of Man, 
as the perfect human being, Jesus did what Adam could not do. So Jesus experienced these tests and these temptations that eventually reached level 10. Jesus was tested, he was tempted at the highest level that a human could ever bear. Jesus struggles with each trial. He struggles with each test, with with every temptation, and he passes perfectly every time. This was not easy for Jesus. Because we see this, the the most apparent... um, Example of this is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, where where Jesus is sweating drops of blood because the temptation for him is to bypass the cross. You'll notice that's a repeated temptation for Jesus, to bypass the cross. And that's what we're going to learn over the next three weeks with Jesus' temptations with Satan. Back to verse 1 here. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by... The devil. So we know that the Holy Spirit is leading Jesus into the desert, but it's the devil who tempts him. So time out. Does this scenario remind you of another godly man where God told Satan, "Hmm, you can have him? Our brother Job. Job chapter 1 verse 6. One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan was with them. And the Lord asked Satan, it's the Lord who initiates this conversation. Hey, Satan, where have you come from? Eh, I'm just kind of roaming around on the earth. I'm bored, walking around on it. Hmm. Verse 8, then the Lord said to Satan, Then the Lord said to Satan, guys, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Because there's, there's no one else on earth like him. He's a perfect man of integrity who fears God and he turns away from evil. And Satan says, ah, does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge of protection around him, his household, everything that he owns? Come on, you've, you've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions, and, and you've increased everything that he's done. You've increased his land, but you stretch out your hand, and you strike down everything that he owns. I'm telling you, God, he's, he's going to curse you to, his, to your face. Verse 12, very well, the Lord told Satan, okay, game on. Everything he owns is in your power, but you can't lay a hand on him himself. See, Job's story will wreck your theology if you believe that God never allows bad things to happen in your life. Why do bad things happen to good people? We hear that question from the world all the time, don't we? I've got two thoughts on that. Number one... There's no one good, not one. Our hearts are not just wicked, they are deceitfully wicked. Number two, we got to understand the terms that we're we're tossing around here. 
trials and and testing and temptation, this idea of parosmos, it's not a bad thing. God uses it for good. That is, if we let him, if we cooperate with him, and really that's the key to understanding today's text. Am I going to cooperate with God? Because temptation is the biggest problem for us who are Christians. Key point number three. If we eliminate temptation, we eliminate sin in our lives. If we eliminate sin, excuse me, if we eliminate temptation, we eliminate sin in our lives. The problem, though, is that we still like to sin. Scripture confirms that in Hebrews 11.25. But we as humans, even baby Christians, we need very little encouragement to sin. But when we do sin, key point number four, we got to be very cautious here when we blame God or we credit the devil when we're tempted. we got to be very, very careful. Be very cautious when blaming God or crediting the devil when tempted. The devil didn't make us do it. We choose to sin. James 1.13. And the reason that we choose to sin is because we get something out of it. If we didn't get something out of it, we wouldn't sin. Now, Christ is a different story. The, the, the three temptations here that we're going to study over the next three weeks, they differ from our personal temptations. So Jesus doesn't have an inward sinful nature like we do. So his temptations, they don't come from within himself. Jesus' temptations, they come from outside. Regardless, the temptation is very, very real for Jesus. Secondly, we ask this question all the time. Well, wait a second. Could Jesus have really sinned? I mean, he's God. How can Jesus sin? God can't sin. Ah, We're going to tackle that one next week. And notice, too, as we we move into the specific temptations, Jesus' temptations, they are specific to him. You and I, we're not going to be tempted to turn stones into bread. We're not going to be tempted to jump off the temple in Jerusalem. We're not going to be tempted to physically worship Satan. But we all know our own temptations. We know what we're susceptible to. So what is this temptation narrative? What's verse 1 tell us so far? It tells us that we can expect the same thing if you're a Christian. You will be tested. You will be tempted. But you're not going to know the uh, whether you're not going to know the outcome until you actually go through the trial. You can't go around it you got to go through it. So there is no room for health, wealth, and this prosperity theology in the Christian life. Because as Christians, we are to live a a life of self-denial. We are to expect a life of suffering, a life of trials, a life of temptation. And here's the thing. This is not because God doesn't love us. It's because he does love us. Back to verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
Notice how personal this event is. Matthew presents verse 1 as an actual event. Jesus is not having a vision. Verse 1 is not a parable. We're seeing Jesus as the Son of Man, the perfect human being, just like you and me, having a very real conversation with the devil. He's the deceiver. Jesus was born of a woman while the devil was in the form of a man. So let's talk about the devil. The devil, the Greek form, uh, the, the Greek word, diabolos, diabolos. Satan is the Hebrew form of that word. Both words mean accuser. Both mean, words mean slanderer. So scripture teaches that the devil is a created thing. And because the devil is a created being, he is not equal to Jesus. Martin Luther said this. He said, yeah, the devil's the devil, but he's God's devil. So Jesus, who created all things, he said this about Satan in Luke 10, 18. He said, you know, guys, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Satan's fall from heaven, it's symbolically described in Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28. So Satan is cast out of heaven. He was ejected. Satan is expelled. Now, all of us have felt rejection in our lives. How happy are you when you've been rejected? Even when you've done something wrong and you're still rejected, how does that feel? Satan was cast out of heaven. So he is filled with all sorts of fury and envy, and that fury and that hatred is directed at God's people and God himself. Now, many people, including Christians, they don't believe in a real Satan. They don't believe in a real hell. However, Satan is not, it's not a Christian invention, and we see that here in today's text. Satan has never revealed his character more so than he did uh, by tempting Jesus. The devil's single purpose here is to usurp and to overthrow the place of God in our lives. And once again, like a thief, the devil's mission statement, steal, kill, destroy. So we're going to see Satan try to work this mission statement into these three temptations of Jesus over the next three weeks. <clears throat> What do you guys think this is? Give me a click here, Clint. What do you think that is? Dust mite? It's just gross. Something out of um, the movie Alien. Let me introduce you to a tardigrade. A tardigrade. It's also known as a water bear or a moss Piglet. Moss piglet. Tardigrades, these guys are microscopic. They are water-dwelling animals with eight legs. Tardigrades can survive temperatures from as low as minus 459 degrees to as high as 303 degrees. That's a thousand times more radiation than any other animal. Tardigrades can live almost a decade without water. Even more impressive, in September of 2007, tardigrades were taken into orbit. And they were exposed to space for 10 days. 
after they returned to earth, many of them not only survived, but they also laid, laid eggs that hatched normally. Tardigrades are the only animals known to be able to survive the vacuum of space. When it comes to temptation in your own life, your trials are like that tardigrade. No matter what you've tried to do to resolve this thing, all the trials and the temptations and the tests in your life, that dang tardigrade just keeps showing up, doesn't he? A lot more is going to be said about this, and we're going to cover a lot in the next three weeks. But for now, let me, let me finish on this thought. How do we prepare for temptations and trials biblically? When you learn how to prepare for these things biblically, when you, when you prepare against sin in your life biblically, you're going to start building spiritual muscle in your life. So let me give you two things. Number one, putting on the full armor of God. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. It speaks to, the, to reading the word of God by the spirit of God. Listening to God's word, meditating, memorizing his word during a real devotional time and I wouldn't suggest like five minutes uh, as you're walking out the door. This idea of tithing your time, a, you know, a real appointment, to have a real conversation, just like you have real conversations with other people. So we've got God's word, and now we've got God's people. Staying connected to your church family. Making new friends as God grows the church, and also deepening uh, the relationships that you currently have. So, dear friends, Parosmos, or that tardigrade, coming for you today. Are you ready? Do you want to live your life as a defeated Christian for the rest of your life? I don't. The reality, though, is that the parosmos, the test, the trial, the temptation is coming for you today. You're not going to stop it, but you can learn how to prepare for it. And that's what we're going to learn from Jesus over the next three weeks. Father in heaven, thank you very much for allowing us the privilege of opening up your word and for you to set the stage of what Jesus Christ teaches us over the next three weeks. There is so much to learn. And yes, Lord God, you, you have given us life, a life of freedom, a life to, to live it fully and, and not under the, the bondage of, of slavery or the law or shame. So Lord, I pray that you do teach us over the next three weeks by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then you would allow us the privilege of experiencing you throughout the rest of the week. And that it doesn't stop there, but this, this freedom that you've given to us, this hope that you've given to us, this is not our best life now, that when we come into contact with someone who has spiritual questions, who doesn't have any hope, that we indeed would be the salt and the light here in the Verde Valley. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you for this day that you've made.
And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.